Hey everyone, welcome back to the Not So Rare podcast. This is Taylor Lewis with Liz Beauvais, and we are continuing on to episode number three of our um, rare disease Mythbusters. So this, as we've talked about before, if you haven't listened to our other two of these kind of um, separate episodes we're doing, go ahead and listen to those and then hop back on here. We have been taking this info and kind of expanding on it from a website called The Mighty. And the author of this particular this particular kind of article here is from A.D. Silva. I would love to probably reach out to her. Like she sounds like she is right on our page. And I'm just looking forward to kind of getting into things today. So we're going to go on to number seven through nine today. And seven says some people believe that those who share the same rare disease can be treated the same, but that is not the case. What works for one doesn't work for everyone. And this is from Angie and wow, Angie, we're with you. (laughs) Liz, you want to expand on this to start? Sure. And I, this is something that I probably didn't understand until I until I needed to understand it. But what we see with our rare disease is that there are several different treatment options. There's different medication doses, doses, there's different therapies that people with our own similar rare disease have. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean it'll work for me. What Taylor's treatment plan wouldn't work for me. Um, our bodies act differently. Our disease affects our bodies differently. And I think that that's probably pretty common with rare disease is that depending on where your rare disease is located, how it impacts you, how widespread it may be, you might need to have a significantly different treatment plan than someone else. So it's something I like to keep in mind when I'm looking at online message boards and posts that people are saying about their treatment is that something that's working for them doesn't mean it's the right thing for me. And so I, I know that it's an open conversation with my doctors, but I also try to keep that in mind when I hear people say, oh, this works really great, or no, this doesn't work for me at all. Yeah. And I want to highlight our rare disease patients outside of the United States on this one, because I think that this is one that can be impacted so greatly by access to care. And I want to make sure like we're making you guys aware. We know that like where you're geographically located, unfortunately, like there's different outcomes with treatment and different opportunities to gain access to different therapies and different interventions. And, you know, I think this one has been hard for me to, when connecting with some of our peers outside of the U S like I can't help, but feel frustrated when they don't get the access to care that, you know, we're able to in the U S. And I think that like, sometimes it feels they're behind us in a way. And it's like, you want to like knowing this disease and like knowing what's helpful for you. Like you want to like get them on your page and you want to like help facilitate that. However, like, I think we do need to understand though, that that may work for them. That may keep them stable um, because everybody is so different and we're not treated the same. I also feel like this might just not be limited to rare disease. I have, I just, I mean, thinking back to my childhood, the medicine I would get when I was sick was different from someone else. I think that what it really is, is that everyone's bodies react differently to different medications and different treatments. And although non-rare diseases might have more research and more 
options to choose from. I highly suspect, and I'd love to hear from someone who might have a chronic disease that isn't necessarily considered rare if this is the case. I highly suspect that your treatment plans might be very different patient to patient as well. Yeah. And what's interesting too, just like from our particular disease is that I've differed from a lot of people with my particular disease with how much like bone involvement I've had for like my umbrella (laughs) disease. And so like my treatment's been very different than a lot of people I've talked to where some people with our disease barely have symptoms, which I think is like mind blowing because unfortunately Liz and I get like the oodles and caboodles of symptoms and we get, we experience a lot and what we're on can be very different from what other people are on. And that has something to do too, like when this disease flares in your life, but you know, it's really interesting how different we all are yet have the same disease, but the same thing goes for like so many other diseases. Like you said, it's not just rare disease. Like that's why there's different stages of cancers. And that's why there's different, you know, variations and spectrums of diseases because, you know, they're all different. I also feel like the more I talk to rare disease patients, a lot of times the treatments are, let's try this treatment, see how it works. Let's go through it. If it's working great, if we need to supplement it, great. If we need to find something else and move on, we can do that. And I feel like I've seen enough stories of, well, we're going to try this or we're going to try that. And a lot of that comes down to the fact that it's hard to tell how your body is going to react to some of this medication to some of this treatment. It's not like there's a lot of patients out there that they can compare you to, to see this works 85% of the time across all patients that have this. There's only small populations And then when you get to Taylor's in my age, although we are young women, there's even fewer populations to compare us to. That brings us to our next one, number eight by Amelia. And it says people that don't have to live day to day with multiple rare chronic and degenerative diseases like I do don't understand that it's a full-time job, even though I am unable to work. It's a constant battle juggling multiple doctor's appointments, and trying to keep my symptoms under control. So unless they've never walked in my shoes, they have no place to judge me. Amen, Amelia. (laughs) Wow. Amelia, I feel for you. I, I am fortunate that I am able to still work. I'm also very fortunate that I work remotely. Um, When my disease started flaring, that wasn't the case. It was pre-COVID times at that point. And we were in the office a lot. But at that point, I didn't have strong treatment plans. I didn't have a consistent doctor I was going to. So that although there were medical appointments and calls that I would have to make, they weren't as extensive as they seem to be in the past year or so. I, I think being able to have a flexible work arrangement, such as working remotely or working when I can and getting my hours in has really helped me be able to keep my job. I'm, I'm someone who's very driven to her career. Um, I have multiple degrees. I've worked in jobs that have taken a lot of time and energy, and I just don't know how anyone can have a rare disease and have a career like that without being able to have some sort of flexibility. Yeah, this one's definitely a, a difficult subject for me. Like we've talked about a little bit. I know we've touched on it briefly. 
Um, but I am fearful what my disease has done to my abilities to work. And I am incredibly grateful for the opportunity to work full-time from home and that's been just immensely helpful with my disease. However, if I were at my previous job of working inpatient at a psychiatric hospital, I couldn't be doing that right now. And I know that I know where my disease is now that that would no longer be able to be a thing. And I think if one good thing has come out of this pandemic, it's the way that we've shifted our work to be able to work from home and to be able to be remote and focus on our health because it has helped me so much balance, like how I'm doing. If my back is like hurting super bad one day, which it normally is like this past week. Um, if I have like five minutes, I'll just lay down really quick. Like if my work is done where I need it to be, I'll just lay down for five minutes and then kind of be able to recuperate for my next client. And I think this is day by day because, um, I don't know what this is going to look like in the future. Like I said, you know, I'm trying to go back for my PhD to like have more flexibility in the future as like a, you know, a what if, um, but there's a lot of people that can't work with, with these diseases. And I completely understand that. And even the battle of juggling multiple doctor's appointments is super overwhelming as well. What's really helped me this year is just FMLA and being able to like have that time off. However, I know like it can, it's just so intense juggling everything at once. Outside of the intensity, I think, and it's probably more more stress that I put on myself because we're, we're our own biggest critics. We judge ourselves more than I think other people judge them, judge us, but our disease is expensive. Um, doctor's appointments are expensive. The medications are incredibly expensive and I'm fortunate to have really great health insurance through work, but I also put that pressure on myself. Like, what if I don't do a good job? What if I get fired because I taking too much time? I'm taking too much flexibility. What if I lose this health insurance? Where will I be then? And I think that that causes me a lot more stress than I need to have it cost me. Like, I know I do a good job and I know that I am very well thought of in my company, but it's, it's still hard because it's, you're almost at the mercy of your employer sometimes because of the fact that that health insurance is really helping you. I think a big part of that too is like the feeling of job security because I don't feel I have enough trust in my disease to like always carry me through. Like there's days I could even wake up and four hours later, like I feel awful and like I can't continue the work day, you know? And it's kind of stressful when you're like relying on, I wouldn't say other people, but like your employment, not only to like help you through your healthcare, but like that part of us not being able to always fulfill what we want to. And then taking this a step further, um, I know we've been focusing on the career portion of this comment, but there's another hidden portion in here too of the impact of doctor's appointments on your personal life and your relationships. I know we, towards the beginning of our podcast, we talked a lot about my school journey. And to be honest, I would tell my groups that I had all these doctor's appointments and I don't think they actually believed me. Um, I would still be getting messages well into long appointments of being like, Liz, can you update this now? And I, 
just would have to be like, I can't, I'm sorry. And I think it's hard when you haven't officially explained the things to people or helped people understand what's going on for them to even take you seriously, because there are so many different changes you need to make. Um, I know at one point in my disease, I had to go to physical therapy for six months and that was two evenings a week. And so to juggle the couple hours it is to get to physical therapy, do physical therapy, get home and recover. It's hard because that cuts into a lot each week. Yeah. And that piece of like judgment, you know, I think I like fixated on that for a while. Like I always thought, you know, like other people are going to judge if like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling in these areas or I need more help than normal. Um, but I feel like there has been a part of that where I've like, let that go. And I'm like, I know I'm doing a good job. I know I'm giving it my all. And like, at the end of the day, we're not robots, right? Like if people wanted work done by robots, um, then power to you. However, like we're human beings, we have stuff going on. And I'm a firm believer of like, this is my, you know, not so great stuff going on. However, like everybody's got their stuff. Everybody's dealing with something, whether, you know, you're a caregiver of somebody who is sick, you have a lot of like family stressors and, and just so many other contributing factors that can make these things like work in our life difficult. And, and it's okay that we're human. I will say I am very fortunate that I've always been a planner because if you're not a planner, I don't know how you would be able to manage a lot of this. I like, I'm just thinking back a couple of weeks ago, I, a couple weeks ago was Memorial day and I had planned to have brunch with friends. Um, but I also had an ultrasound before I had lunch with friends. So I was able to work my ultrasound in at 8am to be able to be at brunch by 10 and then hang out with them for a couple hours. Like, it's just interesting how I've almost adapted scheduling doctor's appointments around my friends' lives as well. Yeah. And with that, like, I've also learned my boundaries and where I need to like allow myself, like to be like, say no to things. Right. Because I struggled with that for a while of like, you know, it's not that you don't want to hang out with friends. It's that you know, you're dealing with a lot of stuff and sometimes you don't feel up to doing extra things. Like I know, you know, it all sounds good when you plan it and you're like, Oh, that's like totally doable. I'll do this at this time, this at this time. But to remember, it's like, it's okay to cancel those plans if you need to. And like, I think that's just so important for all of you to know that like, it's not in your control. Like if you could be there, you would be there and they'll just have to understand that. And I think a lot of that also comes with your own acceptance. Um, most of my specialist appointments are in downtown Philly across a couple of different systems. And I don't really go downtown that much anymore. I used to work downtown. I have a lot of friends that live in the city and I used to actually, and now that I think about it, I have to laugh at how naive I was is that I used to plan to go to happy hour with my friends after my doctor's appointments. So I would, so I was under this misconception that I could just go to the doctor's appointment. It would be a perfectly happy, fine doctor's appointment, take an Uber, a couple blocks downtown, meet them for a couple drinks, hang out and maybe have dinner and then drive home. I, I learned very quickly that I canceled just about every single one of those plans I had made. And I know it made my friends super mad because they were like, Liz, every time you plan to meet us, you're not here. But it's also 
taking that step to understand that there's certain, like an ultrasound, I was fine to go out with friends afterwards, but an oncology appointment, probably not. Yeah. And it's like, we never quite know how impactful they're going to be until, um, you're there because you never know what's going to be brought up. And some of them are just like really emotional. Absolutely. And I mean, there's some that I probably would have been fine going out afterwards, but you never really know how it's going to go. And I think some of that leads to the anxiety that I have before I go into an appointment of, am I going to end up crying today? Or are we going to be laughing and hugging at the end of this appointment? So, so, so true. You want to lead us into number nine now? Sure. So the last one that we're going to talk about today it was raised by Carol and hers just resonates with me on so many levels right now. Um, hers says, it seems to me that folks assume rare diseases are covered and that's in quotes by insurance, like any other condition, they are surprised to discover that the medicines I need, the treatments, even the doctors are as rare as hen's teeth and six times as expensive. Both Taylor and I have definitely experienced this. I know, um, there's a lot that we probably could have multiple episodes of why we wish our insurance covered things or we don't have access to things because we don't have a certain diagnosis, even though we're on same similar medications. But um, one thing that's really been hitting me lately is we are on a medication that has been approved by the FDA. So it is possible for us to purchase our medication now through the pharmacy, but Medicine is expensive, especially specialty medicine that is, doesn't have a generic. Um, and it's been very stressful trying to work to understand what I may or may not have to pay for this and what this might look like and then plan for in the future. Yeah, this one's really tough and kind of triggering, to be honest. Like, this is something that is really upsetting about like conditions like ours. Um, I'll just kind of share too, like when it came to me, um, going through fertility stuff, when I thought I could freeze my eggs, I just remember like, okay, it's going to be an option. And so I go there and then I find out it's going to be $18,000 to do. And that (laughs) with our treatments, I am on the same medication as a lot of cancer patients and the egg freezing was covered by insurance for them but not for me with this rare disease. And that's very true for a lot of other treatments that we go through a lot of other resources. There's just not the same backing for these smaller ones as there is the larger ones. And that's something I've been really passionate about is like treating these diseases as a standard of care, the same way other diseases are treated because we're on the same medications we're impacted just as hard as these diseases are. And we deserve to have like all of the outcomes and all of the benefits that everybody else does. And insurance is awful. And I think too, when you try to explain this to people that aren't living through it, their answer is, well, have you reached out to this foundation? Have you reached out to that foundation? And I, nothing against foundations that are out there to help patients because they all are wonderful and are doing the best that they can. But a lot of times people are donating money with a given purpose. They're donating money to help a child. They're donating money to help a cancer patient. They're donating money to help someone that has this sort of function. And when you don't fit any of those buckets, 
it's really hard to find realize that there's not even a group out there that's out there to support you. And I can understand that someone's donating money with a certain thought in mind, but it's also hard when you're on the same medication as someone that they're donating money for and you still don't qualify. Yeah. And it was really difficult for me as I was like deep diving into some of these foundations, like looking for coverage, looking for somebody to kind of like fund and help me with this egg donation. Like I wasn't looking like I'm like, okay, I could understand it not being fully covered. Totally can get that. However, if I can get some support. So I'm like deep diving in the internet and talking to the social worker. And it was really hard to like accept that we weren't supported. Like there were countless for like basically like if you're, you know, infertility that they'll work with you you have this particular diagnosis, I remember like applying for one and like being hopeful that like, maybe they would include me in it. Never heard back. Um, you know, it's just like, it's very much the truth of what it's like with our rare disease. And I think that it empowers me to want to change that for the generations behind us and like start having these difficult conversations because, I don't understand who can pay for our services. And like, I know I'm privileged. I have two commercial insurances and I know that's a huge deal because I know that there's a lot of people that are uninsured or have, have plans that want to fight back on everything and try to deny everything. And I just want to like, let you guys know that like, we feel that and like right now we're struggling. Our medication's over $30,000 a month and our insurance keeps going like back and forth, covering, not covering. And then it's a matter of like now the medications and like high demand and hard to find. But I think when you hear $30,000 and I'm 28 years old and that would be a monthly fee, not covered and even covered, it had its issues in the beginning. We're working out, but it's like, who can afford that? Like maybe Jeff Bezos, our Amazon guy can afford that. But the average person on these medications, I mean, is just like, it's criminal. I realized pretty early on as I was looking at these costs that I wasn't someone that could both take care of myself and handle that side. I, and I know it's, it's a bad thought, but like, it is just me. And to try to navigate the system of insurance and handle my disease and handle the panics of like, can I even pay a month of this? No, I can't. And I am a very successful young woman and I can't even afford a month of the medication. It's, it's hard. Like I literally went through, and I, again, I'm, I know I'm privileged, but I went through like, what's in my 401k? Like what, how much is my house? If I sold my house, how many months of medication would I have? So I, a thank you to my medical team out there who every time I raised it said that they're taking care of it and they are. And I really appreciate that because I don't think I could have handled this myself. That breaks my heart to hear that you'd have to kind of like think of those different areas and like compensate for your hard work. And the sad thing is I know I'm not the only one who has those thoughts. I know that there's other rare disease patients out there that have sacrificed those portions of their lives that they've worked really hard for because we're not as recognized by insurance companies. We're not as recognized as some of these foundations. We don't really fit the mold of 
where people want to donate money or help. Um, and it's not, it's not necessarily an insurance problem. It's not necessarily a government problem. It's not necessarily a medical problem or a drug problem. I think it's just the state of reality, at least in the United States. I know it's a problem everywhere, but especially in the United States of how medical costs are high. And it's not one organization out of all of those that's driving it. And it's just hard to figure out where you can get help if you actually need it. Yeah. And I just want to like highlight, you know, we're a resilient bunch and that is for sure. Rare disease patients, we are forever adapting, forever changing. And I appreciate you, Liz, for our feedback. I'm happy I have somebody to like talk and vent to with like insurance issues and just day-to-day life of living with our disease. And um, I urge you all to kind of try and reach out and find that person because it makes everything so much easier. And if you can't find that person, we are always here. Thank you again for listening. This has been the Not So Rare Podcast.